So they will sometimes resist doing what common sense dictates because you're always telling them to do it. If you shut up and give a respectable length of time so they can prove that they didn't do it in response to your nagging and suggestion, they may end up starting to do it on their own. Ain't that something? Because they secretly agreed with you anyway, at least a little bit, but they couldn't let on. Hey, you're listening to the Blessed Couple Podcast, where we talk about how to do this marriage thing and experience God in the process. I hope you enjoy and subscribe. Let's get started. The presentation I'm giving tonight is a bit of a slice of something that I present at the retreat. Those of you who know Kathy and me probably have heard me share about the number one place where we have conflict is in the car. I know that's a very common thing for many people. Kathy will be saying, you know, it's exit 34, don't you? And I say, yes, of course. I remember it's 34. It's still two miles away. And we'll have that kind of tension with me getting defensive and her feeling a little bit concerned and kind of a bit overzealously watching the road. And my daughter could probably recite all of our car conflicts by heart over the years. The thing is that this kind of give and take between couples, whether it's just a little bit testy or just a lot of conflict and tension is so common, isn't it? And what's ironic is this one insight I want to share tonight can really give you a very different angle on what's going on between you and your spouse and also you and your kid, especially teenage kid. So the first thing I want to do though is I'm going to invite you to think about your own relationship. I want you to sit and think for a minute. You can do this on paper or you can just do it in your own head, but I want you to think about a very common complaint, a common conflict that you have with your spouse. And just think about it behaviorally, right? Just one thing or two. And on a piece of paper or again in your mind, think about one perennial complaint, a common point of tension between you and your spouse. And especially if it's relatively simple and it's also quite behavioral not so much an attitude, but a concrete thing. You know, she goes to the store and forgets, she forgets what I asked her to buy. He constantly is late for everything. Think about something concrete and try to think about what they do, what exactly do they do. And then on the other hand, I want you to think about what do you do in response to what they do? So for example, let's say your spouse always shows up late for the car and you end up being late for church and you feel very uncomfortable, then you could just write, make note, what exactly do you do in response to your spouse's lateness? Do you end up making a huff and a puff in the car? Do you make a comment? Do you just get quiet and tense? Do you drive extra fast? Do you have irritation in your voice? Do you get exasperated and kind of collapse and just kind of give up and remain quiet for the next two hours? Just try to write down your behavioral response, what you actually do, okay? Just take a moment, think about this. Okay, so let's go on. And I want you to just make note, just want to point out that, you know, between the spouses, there, it's a very common thing. One of the most basic points that you learn in college in the master's program about marriage and family is that nobody does what they do alone. That family and relationships that are very close are like a, a baby's mobile. 
you touch one thing and the other thing automatically moves to compensate. In other words, nobody does anything in a family or a marriage just in a vacuum. Whatever they do, they influence the other spouse. There's always an influence. So even though we can't see it, but we're always influencing each other. It's very subtle. I mean, you know how it is. A wife especially is good at this. She can tell when her husband just raises his eyebrow, when he stiffens, when there's a slight change in the tone of voice, and that affects her. And then she does something in reaction, and he reacts to her reaction. There's always a lot of things going on all the time, nonstop, when you see a couple. In fact, you can take films of this, and you can easily see how they're reacting and responding to each other, either in a positive way or in a negative way. So we are always, we never, you know, nobody's doing what they do all by themselves, but we are subtly involved, either making it worse or making it better. Few relationship problems, in other words, involve only one side. The other one contributes something in some way. We often deny it, and again, we don't see it, but our kids see it. You know, ask your kids. They can tell you exactly what you do when your wife does something and then what she does when you do that, and they can just imitate you hilariously, but you're actually reacting and bouncing off each other. And if we can understand that this is going on, we can change it. So the point is, these things are, the causes run both ways. And so we're often, the things we do are, in fact, making things worse. So for example, classic example, who's really the problem? One side says, you know, I have to be really strict with the kids because you're so lenient. Oh my gosh, you let them get away with anything. I can't believe it. Why didn't you say something to him when he said that? Why didn't you do this? Or why are you letting them get away with murder? And then the other person says, oh my gosh, I am so lenient because you're like, you're so strict. You're too hard on them. I try to give them a break. You know, you're like the Gestapo. My gosh, I have to give them a little bit of place to breathe. The two sides always complain about the other being too much. And it turns out we end up overcompensating for whatever our spouse does that we think is too much. And we pull in the other direction. Well, the other person then pulls back. And just like a tug of war where the two sides start leaning and digging in their heels and they're just leaning back, desperately trying to pull the other one to their side. Well, in reality, you can't hold that posture without the other person also holding their extreme posture. So if this person were to complain to their friend, geez, I feel like if I'm not on top of the kids all day long, then my spouse will let them just get away with anything. And then and you'll get sympathy, oh, you poor thing. And then the other person says, oh my gosh, my spouse is just like a maniac always on the kids' backs. I don't know why he doesn't lift them that up a little bit. And then the friend will say, oh, you poor thing. Oh, it must be so terrible. But actually, you don't realize, whoa, maybe you're the one sort of creating it. So another example, one person says, oh my gosh, I have to be always watching the money because you spend so much. We have to cut back. I have to watch you. I have to challenge every purchase you make because otherwise you'll just like completely blow all of our income. And the other one's thinking, my gosh, you're such a stingy. You're so stingy. Someone's got to spend some money around here. We got to buy stuff. We have to have fun. So I spend so much because you're so cheap. The other one says, yeah, but I have to be so cheap because you spend so much. Well, who's the problem? Well, clearly, if you listen to one side, the other one is. But actually, if you're a kid watching this, you realize they're both the problem. They're both egging each other on. They're both making each other do this. 
it's because of their reaction. Oh my gosh, I get so angry because you never want sex. Never. The other person is saying, I don't want sex because you're so angry. Who the heck feels romantic with someone who's always a crab? Again, who's causing which? Each side thinks the other one's the problem. But can you see both of them are? It's the relationship that's the problem. Someone else, again, classically, I want to talk. We never talk. And the other one says, my gosh, you never shut up. You never leave me alone. No wonder I'm always running away from you because you're always chasing after me to talk. And the other person says, I have to chase after you because you never want to talk. And again, who's the problem? Well, both of them are. This is a really profound insight if we really can get it. It's the same thing with me. It's not easy for me to see my contribution to problems with my wife. But there's always something there. I'm either making it better or making it worse. But I'm never nothing. I'm never no influence. So people in close relationships react to and balance each other. We tend to try to correct for the other's excesses by taking the opposite position. You know, we're always pulling in the opposite direction. But both sides tend to then push each other to unnatural extremes. So we end up inviting the very reaction we don't like. And the more we try to fix it, the worse it gets. So for example, what's ironic is that parent that swears that the other person is too strict or too lenient. If one of them went to a workshop for 40 days, and the other, and, they, and if somebody went to a workshop, and then they came back, they're thinking, my gosh, I'm going to a workshop for a month. When I come back, the kids would be like roaming the streets, selling drugs. You know, they haven't been to school in, three, in six weeks, that kind of thing. The other one, or the other one's thinking, my gosh, by the time I get back, my kids will be locked in the basement on bread and water because my husband and wife are so strict. But when they actually come back from 40-day workshop, what do they find out? They find out that they, when in the absence of your influence, the other person tends to come to the middle position. They just naturally do. They're no longer reacting to you, and they just find a more middle position. They learn, for example, that being too strict doesn't work. They learn within six weeks, clearly it doesn't work. Or they learn that being always lenient doesn't work. It may not be perfect, but they're not going to be, the excesses will stop once you leave the equation. That's an ironic thing, because the very thing we were doing actually made things worse. So go back to my initial question when I asked you, find your part. Could some of your reactions to your mate actually be driving a lot of the attitudes and actions that you don't like? Or at least are they making them more extreme? If you're always harping about money, are you actually driving them to be a bit more irresponsible with money? Or if you're always so unaware of your finances and you spend a lot, aren't you in fact sort of forcing the other one to be the one worrying about the budget all the time? Nobody wants to be in any extreme position. It's usually an unnatural position for them, but they take it because they think your position is so extreme. If you actually think about it, Maybe you're helping to make them do the very thing that you hate, just something to consider. So the key here is that is we always think I have to, when people come to me for coaching, for their marriage, they almost always come to me to say, can you get my husband to do this? Can you make my wife do this? Fix my wife, fix my husband. Completely understandable. I'm not saying that things are easily corrected, but I'm just saying they almost never see their contribution to the problem. They almost never see what they're doing that's making it worse. But actually, it's the way we relate that generally is causing most of the problem. 
don't change your mate, change the way you relate. The way we relate is bringing out the worst in us. Somehow you are triggering the worst in your spouse, maybe accidentally, but you have to notice and maybe do something about it. The only way we can stop this, and I'm sure you know what I mean, we can have these conflicts go on for decades. Again, our kids know. The only way to stop it is to break the vicious cycle. One person who's aware realizes this is bad give and take. I've got to stop it by doing something different. Changing our part in the exchange invites the other to change their part. It's like a dance. It takes two to tango, they say, right? That's what this picture is. But it only takes one to break the tango. So if one person suddenly shifts to a waltz, the other person can't tango. So in that way, if you're having, if you two are always bickering, if you don't participate, it will stop it. Doesn't mean you do the cold shoulder and all that. That's not the same thing. It's just another way of fighting and being nasty. I'm just saying, whatever bad interaction you're having, if you stop your part of it, it cannot continue, at least not long. Even small changes can make amazing positive reaction. That's amazing. I've seen this kind of stuff. So any kind of novelty breaks up the usual routine. If you just don't do what you always do, then you'll get a different, you, you may get a different reaction. You have to do it long enough, but you're almost always going to bite a different reaction. So, I mean, I, let me give you a quick example. I had this student, I gave a homework assignment when I was teaching at the seminary for these students to do something different in their relationship. So this one man, this one young man had been married briefly and his wife was no longer waiting for him at night when he got home from studies. And he found her, she's getting a little chilly and she was kind of going to bed and she was kind of ignoring him and it really hurt his feelings. So he thought, what could I do different? There wasn't even much raw material to work with because she literally wasn't even up when he got home. But he said, let me do something different. And he decided, I'm going to do what she asked. I'm going to brush my teeth. My wife always wants me to brush my teeth before I go to bed. And I, I just say, it's, I don't like it in the morning. So he decided to do what she asked and brush his teeth. It certainly doesn't seem to be related to her, her kind of rejection of him. And we can do a whole psychological analysis of what might be behind is her rejection of him. But he just said, oh, I'm just going to try something different like the assignment. So he started brushing his teeth. I kid you not. Second night, of course, no difference. Third evening, he came home and she was there awake in the bed. Fourth evening, she was much more awake and much more animated. And they had big talk. By the time the week was over, they made love. And what did he do? Again, did he go into her mother and father issues? Did he do a serious prayer condition? Did he decide to go back and yell at her because she was not being very nice to him? He decided to brush his teeth. <laughs> it changed everything. No doubt, because possibly, she said, how nice of you to finally listen to what I asked. And she responded. Isn't that interesting? So the only way we can change it is we have to let go of what doesn't get good results. Admit that your current methodology doesn't work. Act to change yourself, whatever you're contributing, because you might be making it worse without realizing it, and do something different, anything different. So just be curious. You can't predict what's going to work, but you can't fail. You always learn. But if what you're currently doing doesn't work, then don't keep doing it. One-sided change on your part can really make a huge difference. 
Hey, if you're getting something good from this episode, it would mean the world to us if you could share it with someone you love or leave a five-star review because the only way this podcast spreads around is through word of mouth. So a share or a review would go a long way and it only takes like 10 seconds to do. Thanks, back to the show. Again, there's another famous story that they tell me about these kinds of things. This one mother was always asking her daughter to go to set the table. She's like 13, 14, go and set the table. And so, of course, it got to the point where her daughter had trained her to ask about four times, honey, can you come down and set the table? Lisa, can you come down and set the table? This type of thing. And so mom was doing, and, and she would come down on the fourth thing, the fourth call. Well, eventually the wife heard about this idea, so I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to tell her once. So she, she yelled out, Lisa, set the table. Of course, Lisa didn't come down. Eventually, Lisa gets curious because nobody said anything for 15 minutes. So she comes downstairs on her own. That alone shows you do something different and things can maybe be different. Lisa actually came down on her own without being called again. And she saw everyone sitting around a naked table. She was kind of curious. She said, what's going on? He said, have a seat. She sat down and mom proceeded to come to the table with a nice big ladle of spaghetti and sauce and proceeded to put it in front of each person on the naked table. Well, can you imagine that maybe Lisa never forgot the need to set a table again? Do you think that was more persuasive than nagging her yet again? See, the thing is, she'll never forget it. And it was done non-verbally. And mother didn't have to break her rule of asking more than once. Do something different. It can bring amazing results. So, for example, these are all examples of letting go of the rope. So one example would be, if you're tugging on your spouse, constantly nagging them, reminding them, making deep sighs, being exasperated, getting angry, yelling at them, constantly pulling the other direction. Do this, do it the way I want, do it the way I want, do it the way I want. You, one way you can let go of the rope is just do nothing. You know what happens in a tug of war? If you actually release your tension, the other person falls over. <laughs> just do nothing. What's the worst that can happen? A lot of times people say, oh no, if I don't remind them, then something terrible will happen. No, it won't. They already know that you don't like, they already know what you think about this. They already know that you want them to clean the dishes. They know that you want them to put the laundry in the hamper. They know that you want them to be more affectionate when you come home, whatever. They already know that. So just shut up and say nothing. Don't remind them, don't do anything for weeks and see what happens. One sister shared this wonderful story about she was nagging the family to constantly clean the house, help her clean the house. And she was very self-righteous about it because, you know, it's godliness and all that kind of stuff. And she just thought it was awful. This place is a pigsty, and why are you people pigs? She did this for, of course, decades. Finally, one time she decided, I'm, I'm going to boycott this. I'm not going to do it ever again. She said nothing. And she also stopped cleaning. She stopped cleaning. Now, we're talking about, I don't know, of course, obviously, she did a few kind of, a little bit of cleaning, but she stopped cleaning the house. And she was going to see how long it would take before someone would notice and maybe help out. You know how long it took? <laughs> One day, her husband came in and said, the place had become so dingy. He said, did you paint the walls a different color or something? <laughs> I guess maybe the light bulbs were so covered with crud, now the place is getting dark. Anyway, it took eight months for her husband to even notice that the place wasn't clean. But she had to admit, I thought the end of the world would come if I didn't clean the house. But actually... We still loved each other. We still enjoyed each other's company, and it wasn't so terrible. So she says, obviously, she hasn't given up her standards entirely, but she realized doing nothing 
was very interesting, educational, and finally, people noticed that cleaning actually counts. Simple example. But another example of this is many times people, if you do nothing, they will experience, like this husband did, they will experience the natural consequences of their extreme. Many times, because we're constantly interrupting and resisting and pushing them to do something different, they experience the only problem related to this issue is you. You know, you, you think, I need to do this or I need to do that. I'm not experiencing any problem except you nagging me. So the best way to go is you stop nagging, stop pushing, stop resisting them, let them experience the natural consequences of what they're doing. And often what happens is if you shut up and don't say anything, after about three weeks, they will finally begin to experiment with doing kind of what you had in mind. Because secretly, they may agree with you, but they must not do what you say because they mustn't give you the satisfaction of thinking that your nagging actually paid off. So they will sometimes resist doing what common sense dictates because you're always telling them to do it. If you shut up and give a respectable length of time so they can prove that they didn't do it in response to your nagging and suggestion, they may end up starting to do it on their own. Ain't that something? Because they secretly agreed with you anyway, at least a little bit, but they couldn't let on. Oh, heaven forbid. So that's a simple example. At the very least, you'll learn something, they'll learn something. And you change the dynamic between you. Maybe it'll become more pleasant in the house, whatever. Another example, another way you can do this, letting go of the rope, is start moving toward their position. Oh, no, we can't do that. I don't want to encourage them. No, you won't be encouraging them. You're just going to stop pulling on the rope so hard and start, like, let it relax and start moving a little bit closer to them. First of all, you need to admit that you secretly envy something about their position. Maybe you're the person who's always so hardworking and diligent and grim, and we gotta, we got to be serious, we got to do this, we got to do that. And you're always angry at your spouse for being kind of laid back and relaxed and funny all the time and you think it's childish, and you think it's not serious, and you're always saying, oh, come on, get serious, we need to do this, you know, whatever. You're the grouchy one, they're Mr. Sunshine. Well, the point is, secretly a part of you loves the fact that they can enjoy themselves so much. You secretly envy the way that they relax, and you wish you could relax too. So then just let up a little bit and start moving toward them. Relax a little, see what happens. Let some things go you may find that the other person starts picking up the slack just because you're not so intense. Or in my case, with the driving, see what always happened was, Kathy was always all over the road. And meant she was sitting in the passenger seat and all over the road because that's just the way her upbringing was. She's all worried about the exits and about the toll booths. She's got the toll out 15 minutes before it's needed, all that kind of And I felt like, geez, she's all over the road and she's already thinking about the exit 15 miles in advance. Why should I? worry about it. So I became more spaced out the more intense she became. And the more she was all over the road and driving from her position, the worse I became. I became even more spaced out. So we were like encouraging each other. We were both pulling in opposite directions and making each other worse. So finally, I, I realized this was happening. And so I decided, okay, if I don't want her all over the road, I need to tell her that I know our route. I need to tell her it's exit 34, and then after I find exit 35, four, you can tell me the next thing I should be looking for. 
And then she learned the only way she's going to stop driving from passenger position is she has to stop looking at the road and just trust that I'm not going to miss another exit. One of the problems is I miss the exits all the time. So she decided I'm going to take my knitting in the car and I will look at my knitting and not at the road. It's the only way to stop her hypervigilance. And so she has her knitting. I announce that I need her help or I don't. And then she doesn't drive for me and I don't get all defensive and weird. It works. I'm moving toward her position. She's moving toward mine. Another great example is this one woman's group was always complaining about her husbands are always on their back about sex. Oh my gosh, she's always on my back. I'm so sick of it. It's ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. So this one counselor challenged them all. Okay, I want you to do something different. Instead of constantly resisting and complaining and being so cold and all the rest, I want you to initiate sex. I want you to flirt with your husbands and initiate sex. And they all complain, oh no, they'll become sex maniacs and all the rest. No, and then, you know, so she said, no, just, just try it. So the next week she can hear them coming down the hall for their women's meeting, women's group. They're all giggling, telling wild stories. <laughs> Me too, my Frank, you know, whatever. They come and sit down. They're all telling stories. I can't believe it. Frank put up the shelf that I've been asking him to do for the last 25 years. And all this, they all tell these stories about how much fun they had. They smacked their husband on the fanny and started flirting with them. Did a little smoochy smoochy and they made love. And then their husbands were so shocked. And then said, I couldn't believe it. My Harold was just so affectionate. And he volunteered to go out and do the gardening. And all this, they all told stories about how beautifully well received, how it changed the dynamic in their relationship because they were actually moving toward the other one's position and showing that they cared. Just there's many examples of this, but if you start joining them, it will, will not be the end of the world. If you start moving toward them, maybe you can acknowledge that, yeah, I'm a little bit stingy, and I like the fact that you have spent money enough to make this home beautiful, or whatever. Or you can say, you know, I don't like being the cop in this in, in, as a parent. I'd like to be more like you. I would like to have more fun with the kids and stop harping on what all their responsibilities. But I don't know how. And just back off and, in other words, just like lighten up and move toward them one way or another in action or in words and share your heart, whatever, and see what happens. Now, you can't lose anything, even though we always think, oh, my gosh, yes. No, you can't lose anything. You can just reduce the tension in the relationship. And finally, my last example is to imitate them. <sighs> yeah, yeah, imitate them. This is one of the hardest things for somebody to do because we often have all these moral objections to what the other person is doing. So we think, oh, I can't be like them. That would just be so terrible. Nah, you'd be surprised how it works. Very simple example. My wife, one of the places I love to kiss my wife, I like to kiss my wife on the temple, or right near, yeah, right here, right near the ear. I think it's the most beautiful place to kiss. But she's very sensitive in hearing, and so when I kiss her on the ear, it's completely unromantic. It's a really loud, sound to her and she just gets completely out of any kind of romantic mood in fact she gets angry then i get angry for how why are you so sensitive now, this is really a brilliant way to react right and then it's all downhill from there so what she decided to do is she kept on asking me not to kiss her there finally she began she just went over and gave me a big smack right on the ear and then i heard it whoa i never forgot it I still sometimes make the mistake, but now almost never, because I got a clear dose of it. It was very simple. She could have gone on for decades telling me not to kiss her there on the ear, 
And I would never have understood because I couldn't understand what the problem would be. I thought it was something wrong with her. But instead, it's just very clear. If you imitate them and give them a sense of what this is like, it often helps a lot. So another example, people imitate them. Many times people think, oh, why don't you stay home with me? You're never home. You never want to be home and that your spouse is always running around, volunteering for church too much, running out with, you know, going out with the boys, bowling league, whatever they do, whatever. They're always leaving home and leaving you there at the house, bored, lonely, and maybe taking care of the kids. And it's not really fair. And you've been complaining about it for years. Well, one of the things I always recommend that people do, especially a wife, is just do what they do. The only reason why they can leave all the time is because you're always home. Don't you see how it works? So if you're not always home, they can't always leave. So I just tell them, go. Go do exactly what they do. Just announce, on Saturday, I'm going to be going out with the girls somewhere, shopping or whatever. If they never tell you, don't tell them. Just say, don't do it with anger. Just imitate them so they understand how unfair it is. Don't do it with anger or with an attitude. Just go. Saturday, I'm going out with the girls for about five hours. I guess somebody needs to stay home with the kids. And then whatever, and just do it. Let them come home on a Wednesday night and find that you're not even there. Hire a babysitter, bring the kids over somewhere, do a sleepover. But let them experience that when they came home at 11 o'clock, you're not even there. Let them understand what it's really like. Do it many times, and believe me, that dynamics will change forever in terms of that particular habit. So it's just that a lot of times we're letting them do it and we don't realize how we're enabling them. We're clearly enabling them. So this kind of, the idea of imitating them is often, like I said, one of the hardest things to do. But if you actually let them experience the problem on their own, they will finally develop empathy and they'll understand your heart. And there was a, one more example is, I know one set of parents whose kid was always going out and running around, and they actually did this. He was constantly going out, going past curfew and not answering the text. And so they decided to imitate him. And so they, they ended up disappearing on a Saturday, and they were gone all day and night until very late. And the kid eventually started wondering where they were, and he began texting every 20 minutes. And he was completely engaged in trying to track down his parents. Well, you can imagine he wasn't getting into trouble that night. And they did it a few more times. And the kid never did what he stopped entirely doing what he was doing. He would come home a lot more often. He was kind of worried about whether they're going to be home. Again, a lot of times what you're doing is allowing them to be doing what they're doing. So do something different. Try something different. But, but stop the tug of war and drop the rope. So I invite you at the end of this little presentation, Return to your reactions that you were thinking about earlier. You know, whenever they're always late, you always do this. Well, think about doing something different. Think about being late like them. Be late later than them and let them wait. Again, not with an attitude, not with resentment, not with anger, but just to, just to change the dynamics between you. Just do something different and see what happens. Move toward them, a little closer to their position, join them, or just do nothing. Try it, it might work. Let me just stop right there. Hey, if you want to improve your relationship or take your sex life to the next level, well, you're in luck because more than 70% of couples that take our Love and Integrity course said that the quality of their sexual relationship improved after joining the course. Sounds good? You can join the program today with your spouse or just take the course by yourself at loveandintegrity.com. 
See you in the next episode.